I'm reading today Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. We're about to get into work. It's the the second of a three-part series, short series, thinking about work. As I said last week, while I am going to have a focus on those who are in employment context, the principles that we're talking about uh, today and over these three weeks, uh, they work in relation to your life, whether you're a student, uh, unemployed, working for an income, a stay-at-home parent, a retiree, or some other category that I haven't covered, right? The principles associated with it, this actually do apply to us all. Let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll tuck into it together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great love and mercy towards us in your son. We pray that uh, as we're meeting, that the meeting down at Brighton will be a, an encouraging time for the congregation and the Munros as they're commended for their next phase of ministry. Uh, Father, strengthen them as they step into a new role. And Father, be with that congregation as they now uh, continue to serve one another and love each other and grow in your ways and also as they pray for you to provide them with the new senior pastor in due course. Uh, Father, we thank you for our opportunity to consider your word today. We pray it will instruct our minds and our hearts, our lives as we think about how we sit under your word, as we allow you to speak to us clearly so that we might faithfully serve you in all of life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning, just just before I came uh, out here to Godden Grove, I googled work-life balance. Okay, googled work-life balance. I got 1.84 billion results in 0.48 of a second. 1.84 billion results in 0.48 of a second. I didn't read them all, just just in case you're wondering, but uh, I think what it tells you is how big an issue this is uh, for contemporary living. The way in which people struggle uh, to get uh, the balance of life and work right in our Western world. And I suspect I don't have to convince you about that. Most of us know that strain of trying to juggle and get things in perspective. There's the challenge of overwork. There was a news poll survey where people were asked this question. Do you spend too much time working and too little time with family and friends? Too much time working, too little time with family and friends? 80% agreed. 80%. Then there was this follow-up question. 90% said that they thought family was more important than work. Isn't that interesting, the difficulty of putting a principle into practice? Uh, When it comes to men, 45% of employed adult men in Australia 
clock up more than 45 hours working every week. For women, between 1978 and 2012, the number of employed women working more than 45 hours a week doubled in that period of time. When it comes to annual leave, 30% of Australian workers, they don't use up their full entitlement of annual leave each year. Uh, They don't quite get to it. And this problem of overworking is the case, even though we know overworking is detrimental to our health in a whole range of ways. So the uh, medical experts tell us there's a direct correlation between overwork and obesity, alcoholism, drug addiction, poor mental health and cardiovascular disease. That's the overwork. But on the other side, there's the problem of underemployment or unemployment. We always know there are people in our nation who are unemployed and looking for work and can't find it. And thats it's a tough gig to be in that situation. But also you would have heard on the news uh, that we're now measuring underemployment in our society. That is, people who would like to work more hours than they're currently working but can't find it. They feel underutilised. And that whole underemployment uh, part of our world is part of this whole casualisation of the workforce which again brings stress to workers because there are many workers who are working from week to week with different hours that could be changed at any point in time and they may wind up not having a job at all. It creates uncertainty, insecurity. And then over the last couple of years, we've had COVID that's just sort of crashed in over the bow and many people have had to work from home. And of course, for a percentage of those people, uh, working from home has been, been wonderful, suited their personality, uh, it was very good. But for others, it's actually led to all sorts of unfortunate outcomes. Uh, I've talked to lots of people who've said that they've got this difficulty of trying to work out where the boundary between work and, you know, leisure or work and private, uh, where they fit when you're spending the whole time in the same space. Uh, my son, who works for a, uh, one of the big four accountancy firms, he was working f- from home for a period, but he's got two preschool children, and at that stage they were living in a two-bedroom unit. And just trying to juggle this whole sort of preschool kids at home with trying to work on the dining room table, uh, it was an incredibly stressful situation for him to be in. COVID has brought complications, especially for those who are managing uh, people in the workforce, you know, dividing up teams into A and B, uh, people, you know, I've talked to lots of principals about the whole situation with teachers and mandatory vaccine and just putting aside the content of that, the whole stress associated with it is just enormous. The work-life balance, how do we think about it? Last week what we did was explore some of the ways in which we, I think, look to work for meaning and satisfaction and purpose. And what we discovered was that ultimately the only way you can find meaning, satisfaction and purpose is actually in God. He's the one who created us for a relationship with himself. Today what I do want to do is keep exploring what God has to say about work and our attitudes towards it, thinking about this whole nature of how work operates. First thing I want to do, and you'll see this in your outline, is I want to pick up on what the Bible has to say about vocation or calling. Vocation or calling. When you turn to the dictionary, uh, 
this is the definition of vocation. You can see it on the screen. A strong feeling of suitability for a particular career or occupation. And when it comes to calling, uh, the definition runs this way. A strong urging towards a particular way of life or a career. Now, in, in modern Australia, having a job or career you enjoy is seen as a, a critical element of having a happy life. In fact, it's so important to us, we employ people whose job it is to tell us what job we should be doing. Any um, person here who's got kids who are going through high school right now will know that they do a whole series of psychometric testing to work out what their gifts are. Uh, one of our staff members' sons at one point was in uh, year 12 getting tested for what he was suited to career-wise and the testing came back and explained that he was ideally suited right, to be an undertaker. Alright, this is not, I'm nothing against undertakers, but it's not what every 17 year old boy wants to hear. You know, this is your, you know, option for the way forward. And let me say it's, it's sensible actually to work out what your gifts are, and it's a good thing to enjoy work if you can. Uh, Ecclesiastes, I mentioned it before, but in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 24, it says this, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. But how does the Bible address this question of calling? Christians, I think most Christians I talk to, think it's really sensible uh, just to work out what gifts you have and try and line them up with the job that you do. And in the Western world, we often have a bit of latitude to work that out. But when I talk to Christians, they often have this additional question uh, that they're asking. They're asking the question, what job does God want me to do? What, what job does God want me to do? Now, can I say it's not a, not a bad question, but it's not the question that the Bible asks or requires us to actually come up with an answer for. What does the Bible say about calling? There are over 50 uses of the word calling in the New Testament. Let me just give you a feel for the way in which that word is used in the scriptures. Firstly, we're told in the scriptures that God calls people. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God calls people in relationship with himself. Elsewhere, Christians are referred to as called ones. Uh, so in Romans 8, Verse 28, it speaks about the fact that believers are called according to his purpose. So if you were saying to someone, you're a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, you could just as easily describe yourself as a called one. It would mean exactly the same thing from a Bible point of view. Uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, it talks about being called by God through the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. He called you through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Called you through our gospel. That is, hearing and responding to the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection, that's the way, the means by which God calls people into relationship to himself. But here's the bottom line question that often we're wrestling with as believers when it comes to work. What does God call us to do? 
What does he call us to? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, listen to how this describes it. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Now, can I say, the New Testament never talks about being called to a particular job. It's interesting. Like, it doesn't talk about being called to be a garbage collector or a street sweeper or a nurse or a factory worker or a pastor or a doctor. There's a couple of points at which Paul the Apostle, you go to a place like Romans chapter 1 verse 1 or 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1 where it talks about Paul who's called to be an apostle. But as far as I can tell, unless you think you're called to be an apostle, this language of calling has never applied to believers except in a more general sense of the calling to be in relationship with God. See, our vocation, if you call yourself a Christian, your vocation is to honour God. He's the one who's called you and you're to honour him in your whole life, everything that involves life. What I want to do is see if I can capture that idea with you in just a few diagrams. I'm just going to flick through really quickly to try and cement these ideas together. This first diagram that I'll throw up on the screen right now, it's the way in which our Western world views vocation or calling. That is, vocation or calling equals a job. And the big question that people are trying to work out is, what job am I suited to? You know, we all know that that's the way it works. The second diagram I'm going to throw up on the screen, this is what I've called the, um, the pseudo-Christian view of uh, calling. Now notice it's the same as the world in that many Christians see vocation or calling as the equivalent of a job. But the key question changes. The question becomes, what job does God want me to do? Now, can I say that's not a bad question? It's actually just not the Bible's question. It's not the question that God lays upon us. What I'm going to do now is throw up a third diagram, which I think is actually the biblical view of vocation or calling. At least that's what I'm trying to capture here. That is, everything we do in life is meant to be for the glory of God. That's our vocation or calling in life. So whether you're in your role as a neighbour or a child or a parent or a tyree or spouse or student or worker, doesn't matter what activity you're involved in in life or what role, that's your, those are the areas uh, that you sit under the sovereign hand of God. And the key question is, how do I faithfully serve God in all of life. That's my calling. Now, can I say, I find this incredibly helpful because what it does is it stops me either overemphasizing or underemphasizing my paid employment. It actually puts it in perspective. Work is just one element of a mosaic that's a life lived for the glory of God. See, people speak about the work-life balance. But the Bible helps us reframe this question, this discussion, as the God-life balance. It's not a work-life balance, but a God-life balance. Now, because this series is on work, uh, what I want to do for just a few moments is to think with you about how our calling, being a Christian, actually 
impacts our work. So a red arrow is going to pop up on the screen. That's the little bit of life that I now want to focus on with you as we think about how to live faithfully in this area of life. I'll broaden it out a bit as well as we press on. How does our calling affect one aspect of our lives work? And what I want to do now is turn to that passage that was read by Corolla, Ephesians chapter 6, if you've got that in your phone or uh, uh, your Bible's here with us. You might want to turn with, with me to that because I want to spend a bit of time in it. The context, uh, obviously Ephesians 6, uh, Ephesians 1 to 3, it elaborates and enumerates the blessings of being called into a relationship with God. So chapters 1 to 3 are all about our calling into God through Christ. When you get to chapter 4, verse 1, it's the pivot verse that sets up the next three chapters. And Paul the Apostle says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So chapters 1 to 3, all about our calling, being in relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then then verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, okay, now I'm going to turn my attention to how to apply this in all sorts of situations in life. And as you go through the next three chapters, uh, what you discover is Paul applying this in lots of situations uh, to the church and how we speak the truth and love to one another and build each other up. He talks about uh, being truthful and the way you engage in relationships. He says to thieves, don't steal anymore, get a job and look out for other people. You get to chapter 5, he talks about husbands and wives and how to live worthy of the Lord, fulfill your calling in your marriage. It talks to parents about how to relate to their children and uh, how to live worthy of their calling in relation to their kids and raising their kids. That's part of the vocation of being called. And then in Ephesians 6, Paul turns his attention to slaves or bond servants is literally uh, what's being referred to. And the question is, chapter 4, verse 1, right? Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So how do you live worthy of the calling you've received if you're a slave, a Christian slave? How do you live worthy of the calling you've received if you're a Christian master? That's the particular focus that we've got here. Now, a couple of thoughts. You might be saying to me, why have you picked a passage on slavery? Why not just talk about what the Bible says about work? The interesting thing in the New Testament is there's hardly any references to God addressing workers in their employment settings and how to live that way. Specifically, there's a lot that's said in the New Testament about how to apply to that setting. But no passages. I was talking with Peter Lockery beforehand. He said, oh, Ephesians 4 verse 28 talks about how slaves shouldn't steal but get a job and work and uh, do something useful with their hands and use their income to provide for others. So one verse we've got here. But you struggle actually to find too much. Now, why is that the case? In the empire that this, this letter was written to, there were a stack of workers, a huge number of them. Why not more New Testament? Why did God forget to teach us on this? Well, he didn't forget. Uh, it's the fact that actually it's not that important. The issue of the particular job you have, that sort of thing, it's just not a key issue from God's perspective. Uh, the nearest we get actually is a passage on this sort of slave-master thing. So the second comment I'll make is that when we hear uh, slaves-masters being talked about, we often think of uh, the African slave trading situation, the abuses and uh, the way in which the savage, savagery of those 
uh, stations in life was worked out. When we come to the New Testament, the, um, the Roman Empire uh, view of slavery, it was much different to that sort of picture. Slaves in this uh, first century Roman world, they could be doctors, bankers, civil servants. They managed significant households. Uh, they often received compensation for the work that they did and in due course could buy themselves out of slavery. Now, don't hear me saying slavery is ever good. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we start to think about work, this slave analogy that's being used here, or it's an analogy but we're using it analogously for work, it actually is very similar uh, to our work situations in lots of respects. So I want to pull that apart with you. So what do we discover here in Ephesians chapter 6? Well, the first thing is, when you become a Christian, you get a new boss. That's what we're told. So whether you're a Christian and you're an employer, employee, stay-at-home parent, unemployed, retiree, work from home, go into the office, no matter what your situation is, God is always the boss that you serve. Ephesians 6 verse 5, that's up there on the screen. Obey your earthly masters or bosses with respect and fear and with sincerity and sincerity of heart as you would obey Christ. Right, then in verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. See, the boss who owns a company with a 100 employees or the person in the workplace who's the lowest person on the totem pole, if you're a believer... You all serve the same master, the Lord. Retiree, you serve the Lord. Stay-at-home parent, you serve the Lord. He is the boss. We also have a new goal at work. Uh, I've often heard Christians say people will be able to identify we're believers because of the excellence of our work. But I want you to notice here in this passage that it's more about character and attitude than the quality of our work. Verse 5, it says, respect or obey your earthly master. Verse 5, do it with sincerity of heart. Verse 6, and not to win their favour when their eye is on you. See, if you're a believer, when your boss is absent from the office, it doesn't affect your output because you're still serving the Lord in that context. And it's the same for uh, bosses. Uh, verse 9, masters... Treat your slaves in the same way. Galatians 6.10, it talks about doing good to all people. Now, I take it that that, that applies to bosses, uh, bosses, managers, supervisors. If they're Christians, they should be known for their grace, their fairness, their generosity, their humility. Those characteristics should be evident. See, the whole idea is that we display the character of God to a watching world or to watching colleagues or neighbours or bosses. Back in Ephesians 3 verse 10, it says that God's intention is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. We're, uh, we're like mini displays of what God is like to a watching world. So that when people observe us, especially in workplace or neighbourhood contexts or relationships, 
They should see that we're people who don't gossip. We don't put others down. We're not glory seekers who are trying to tread over other people for promotion. We're kind when others are struggling. When people are just loaded up with work, if we can, we lend a hand to help them out. Uh, We're the people who, when friends around us at work are grieving or in our neighbourhood, we're the people who reach out and care for them. We represent the character of God in this world. So let me come back to the question I asked. So will Christians be excellent at their work or not? I want you to notice in verse 7 that the instruction is to work, that's what it says, wholeheartedly. And the idea here is faithfulness, not excellence. Will we be the best at our jobs because we're Christian? Well, maybe. Uh, let me say around the Trinity Network, I do, I do run into professors and judges and university academics. Uh, I run into people who are quite wealthy or who are significant business owners or very high up in the organisations they run. We have incredibly high-achieving students. But let me say, uh, most of us, as far, I can, as far as I can tell, are plotters. You know, we're just sort of average and we do okay. Uh, last week I mentioned that I worked for three years as a lawyer before I retired and went to Bible college. Now, was I the best lawyer in Adelaide after three years? No. Was I the best third-year lawyer in Adelaide after three years? No. There were other people uh, who were much smarter than I was and who spent a lot more hours at it uh, who, you know, were better. I was faithful, but I wasn't necessarily excellent, you know, the top tier of what I do. See, what is faithfulness? I was talking to a guy who became a Christian in his 20s. He worked in banking and he said there was a transformation in his thinking about work when he became a believer. So he was in a a managerial sort of role and when he became a believer, the emphasis on going as well as he could in his career and pouring all his energy into it, it changed overnight. He said he wanted to be faithful but didn't want to worship his job and what it could deliver. So what he said was, I'm going to be the best banker in my area that I can be, given who I am, working 40 to 50 hours a week. Right? He, was, he put a little limit on it. He said, look, there were some weeks I had to work more hours than that. There were some weeks I had to work less hours than that. Uh, but he said, what I was trying to do was to work out, give it my full effort, but not let it take over my life. And I thought he cleverly worked out what faithfulness looked like for him uh, and tried to put that into, into action. So how should we think about career advancement or climbing the ladder? You know, is that a good thing to aim at? If you're a Christian, or is it a bit sort of tacky, you know, and mercenary? I remember a guy in town... Uh, who got a promotion in a job. He was one of these sort of elders in the church and he didn't talk to me about it, even though I caught up with him regularly. What happened was someone in the yard after church came up to me one day and said, did you hear about George? 
and I wasn't sure if I had or not. I said, oh, tell me. You know, he said, George, just, you know, like a month ago, got this mega promotion, right? And he is now the world-beating sort of person in his firm, which was a big firm for Southeast Asia. It is huge. And George hadn't told me, even though I caught up with him all the time. I thought, oh, he just hasn't got around to it. He didn't tell me. So eventually I organised to go out for coffee with him. And, you know, I did the usual sort of pastor thing. You know, George, how are you going? You know, how's your wife? How are your kids? You know, and, you know how's work? You know, <laughs> and every time he just said, good, 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 good. Even for the work, I said, you know, anything happened much at work? Oh, not really. Uh, I thought, what's going on here? So I said, look, following this guy came up to me in the churchyard, told me that he'd received this mega world-beating promotion. And uh, I said, I was just wondering why you didn't tell me. And I remember his words to me. He said, he said, oh, brother. He said, if it had been important, I would have told you. <laughs> so if you're looking for a way to put down your pastor, that's the way to do it, you know. Uh, Twelve months later, out in the churchyard, same guy comes up to me and says, did you hear about George? I said, maybe, maybe not, you know. <laughs> and he, uh, he said to me, George, you know, the job he had, the world-beating sort of mega job, He's lost it. He's back in his old job. Something's gone wrong. George hadn't mentioned it to me. I thought, ah, oh, he'll get around to it. Didn't get around to it. So I invited him out for coffee. You know, how's the family going? How are the kids going? How's work going? He said, oh, good, good, good. I said, George, look, someone told me that you'd lost your job. And that, that must have been a difficult situation to be in. He said, oh, brother, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. He said, what happened was, after 12 months in this job, I worked out it was taking over my life. Huge pressure, huge hours. I couldn't, what I was doing was robbing my family, robbing my ministries at church. So I went back to my boss and I said, I don't want the job anymore. I want my old job back. And so that's what happened. And then he said to me, and brother, if it had been important, I would have told you. (laughs) He got me both times. There you go. Friends, how do you think about ambition and career advancement? I think that's the way you think about it. I know another woman who's professionally extraordinarily able has been running her own business now for about 20 years. She's limited the work to a day and a half a week. Even though she's one of the experts in her field, leading experts across Australia, could have grown the business, employed people, and really done extraordinary things and a huge amount more money but she's chosen not to and the reason for that is because she wanted to prioritise other things that she thought were more important Uh, thinking about family thinking about how to raise her children thinking about the ministry she could have with other people uh, around the church She thought those things were worth just restricting stuff. Caring for parents as they aged and died, she created space to do that. Friends, our main goal at work is not to climb the ladder. It's not about self-esteem. It's not fulfilment. It's not about wealth. It's not about even enjoyment. They're just byproducts of a much bigger goal, uh, the goal of serving the Lord. So here's a question. If you're unhappy in your work, 
should you look for another job? As we've already heard, it's a good thing if you can enjoy your work and can I say that in our world we have freedom to change jobs. In my observation though, people often do change their jobs for the wrong reasons. They they hope that a change in work will provide the sense of completion that actually only the Lord can bring. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul the Apostle is uh, talking to slaves at this point about whether slaves should get their freedom if they can. Okay, should they choose to do that? 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21, you can see it on the screen there. Were you a slave when you were called? Uh, Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. Isn't that interesting? Slave but free. Free but a slave. You know, serving the Lord at all times dominates your status in life and is the overarching thing that affects the way you think about it. See, whether you're in employment with a boss from hell or you're a boss with entitled employees who think they're doing you a favour when they turn up at work or maybe you're in a stage where you've got the challenge of you know, reinventing your identity in retirement or maybe feeling presumed upon by your family or looked down upon because you're a stay-at-home parent. It's always trying to work out this principle of serving the Lord. I remember when we had three preschool kids. I came home one day, asked Sue how it been going, and she said it was terrible. Right? The kids were just, they're just impossible to control the whole day. Nothing I did was working. And uh, she said, let me tell you, like, this was when the kids were all settled in, you know, time for stopping, relaxing, catching up. She said, let me tell you one thing that happened. At one stage, I was so frustrated. I got the three kids together and I said to them, I'm your mother. I am not a slave. Okay. And she said, at which one point, one of our children said in sort of this reflective moment, you know, Mothers are a bit like slaves, <laughs> which was, you know, one of the dumbest things that child could ever have said, really, even though he was young. Friends, our fulfilment is always ultimately tied to our calling. We are in Christ. That dominates every sphere of life and every way of thinking. You pick it up, don't you, as you read through the Bible. We have a different sort of goal. Uh, Most workers have annual appraisals in the work situation or they do 360 reviews from time to time. Can I say, at the end of the age, God is going to conduct a 360 review on every single person that's ever lived. Ephesians 6, verses 8 and 9. You know that the Lord, so the big boss, he'll reward each one for whatever good they do. See, Christians, as we think about the workplace, 
We don't just operate for the pat on the back from the boss or the applause of the shareholders or more money or more recognition or better conditions or whatever it might be. Friends, we live for the approval of our Heavenly Father, the big boss. Uh, we, We look forward to those words on the last day, that appraisal from our Heavenly Father Uh, when he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words and the acclamation that we live for. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a sovereign Lord who overrules in your world. You care for us. Father, we pray you'll help us to keep wrestling with with the word, uh, with our circumstances. Uh, with the fact that you do sovereignly rule over heaven and earth and you do it for our good, out of your kindness. We pray that you'll keep growing us, sustaining us, upholding us. You'll give us that clarity uh, that even though our circumstances in life are not always what we want, but you never change. Your authority never moves. Uh, Your care towards us never varies. Father, help us to live uh, for you. Help us to live in service of our King in this world, at work, at home, neighbourhoods, with our kids, our marriages, wherever we find ourselves, and that we'll do it faithfully to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.